how we are to know truth and live that out in our lives as, as believers and how we can prove it. This, the, the title of this series is called Prove It, and it's really just living an authentic faith and not, as, as John said earlier, not just talking about it, but actually applying it and doing it and those two things matching up. Light re- being recognized as light. So in verse 18, he starts in this interesting passage. He calls his audience children. And so in the Bible, especially in the New Testament, you see the writers, Paul, John, even Peter, using family language. And so a lot of times they'll say brothers and sisters. They'll say children. And and so there is just this familial understanding and this uh, familial feel to the writers of the New Testament because as we've said many times before, Christian community should be seen and is seen in the New Testament as a family. This is not a country club. It's not a, a, a civic organization. It's not, it's not something that we pay dues and go to. It, it is supposed to be a family in which we live and exist and do life and, and find love and respect and, and growth and challenge and accountability and, and where we can come together and act and exist as family. And so John is writing to his audience, he's writing to, he, to fellow believers, and as we said last week, those that are suffering and those that are on the run and those that are dealing with pain and heartache as a result of following Jesus. John obviously himself felt this in his own life. The man, they tried to kill this man multiple times, and at the end of his life they said, you know what, we can't kill him, so we'll exile him. And we'll put him out on this island called Patmos where they, they sent exiled prisoners, and we'll let him rot out there because apparently we can't do anything anything with him. And so he is talking with intensity and passion for followers of Jesus, and we read it as such as well. He says, dear children, the last hour is here. That's a pretty big statement, isn't it? Um, how much time do we spend in the Christian community and in, in our culture talking about when the last days are going to be and are we living in the last days and when is Jesus coming back and what signs are out there and what indications are out there uh, that Jesus is coming back. And we got all these authors that have made a lot of money and, and speakers that have made a lot of money off their whole life has been predicting when Jesus has come back. There's this really interesting little passage that says that you will know neither the time nor the hour when Christ will return and his imminent return will be. How many of you kind of kind of are okay with that? Are you okay with that? When Jesus said, no one knows. And so when someone says they know, they don't know. What's funny about this is that John is speaking in the ancient days. He's in the contemporary age of Jesus living on earth. Things were so bad in that moment as people began to follow Christ, began to preach the gospel, began to live for him. Uh, in these cultures that were diametrically opposed to it. They believed that the intensity of the suffering and the persecution was such that they were living in the last hour at that moment. Paul writes about it. Peter writes about it. Peter writes this incredible little passage where he says, uh, through the power of the Holy Spirit, where he says, my conversation is in heaven because the life that I live here is in Christ. And he was so longing for that time and that moment because he believed it was imminent. He believed it was coming at any moment. That makes it kind of interesting that here we are thousands of years later and we're still believing that we know because we've seen something on the news to indicate when the last hour is. These guys thought it was then. Here's what I would suggest we do and challenge myself and us as Christians. Instead of trying to figure out when Jesus is coming back and trying to talk about how we know he's coming back, why don't we live for him until he does? That would be a good, maybe, practice. And when somebody tells you definitively that they know when Jesus is coming back, 
you can know and you can love them and have show grace to them, but you can know they don't know. I mean, how many people in the 80s uh, became famous because they picked the time and the day and then it didn't come up, not too late, uh, just kidding. No, it's this day. No, it's this day. And every time it passed, no, it's this day. The Bible's specific. Even John here walked with Jesus, talked with Jesus, lived with Jesus, saw his miracles, stood by him at the cross. We went, we've been through this. He didn't even know. But he believed because of what was going on around him that they were living in the last hour and that it was there. And so the best thing maybe we should do, instead of doing God's job, instead of trying to figure out uh, what, what is the role for, for God only, that Christ said, no one knows, only I know, only we know, only the Trinity, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, only they know. Instead of trying to do their job, maybe we just live for Christ until he comes in these last days. And, and when I say last days, I mean our last days. That's probably best. Dear children, the last hour is here. You have heard that the Antichrist is coming. And already many such Antichrists have appeared. From this we know that the last hour has come. He was convinced. These people left our churches, but they never really belonged with us. Otherwise, they would have stayed with us. When they left, it proved that they did not belong with us. But you are not like that. You are not only waiting for the signs. You are not only interested in teaching that is counter to what Christ taught. We have discovered, John is saying, that those who left weren't interested in the gospel. They weren't interested in the true Christ. They weren't interested in knowing him, understanding him, and living for him. They wanted something else. And it wasn't the truth. So they left. And you know what? Because they didn't want the truth, because they weren't interested in following Christ, because they weren't interested in believing in Christ alone for salvation and faith in him alone, they left. And he says, why? Otherwise, they would have stayed. If the truth would have anchored and come to bear on them, and they would have believed it, truly believed it, and wanted to follow it and trust Christ, they would have stayed. Because that's what people who do follow Jesus, that's what they do. They stick with them. When they left, it proved they did not belong. But you are not like that. For the Holy One has given you his spirit, and all of you know the truth. That's really a great line. That's an incredible line in the middle of this. So, so far, we, we, it's the last hour. It's some doomsday stuff. It's some eschatological language, which means end time kind of language about, about the end coming. And, and then there's that word that you've all heard probably in the wrong context, this idea of antichrist and antichrists. And there, so we got that. And then we got a bunch of people left. That's never fun. And, and if they would have truly been following the right thing, they, they wouldn't have left. They would have stayed. They weren't interested in the truth. They were interested in false teaching, essentially, is what John's saying. They wanted something that would appeal to them. They weren't interested in what was real. And so they left. Otherwise, they would have stayed. So all this, and in the middle of it, he says, but you're not like that. Those that are in Christ and those that have the Spirit, the Spirit gives you the ability to know the truth. And so not only to know the truth, but like we said last week, to understand it, to embrace it, to be passionate about it, and to live it out. 
So he says, I'm writing to you now as those who understand because of the Spirit, not because you're better or smarter or sharper, but because the Spirit lives inside of you and gives you the ability to know the truth and to live it even when it's hard, even though it feels like the last hour. And it feels like we should be making predictions about Jesus coming back because things have gotten so bad. John says, I'm speaking to you now. You know the truth. You have the truth. The Spirit leads you to truth. The Spirit leads you to live out the truth. So I'm writing to you not because you don't know the truth, but because not only do you know it, you know the difference between truth and lies. And who is a liar? Anyone that says Jesus is not the Christ, anyone who denies the Father and the Son is Antichrist, is an Antichrist, an Antichrist. We'll get to it in just a second. I promise. You didn't know you were coming and get a little, you know, left behind this morning, were you? Um, it's, it, this is important, I think, for us to, it's important for us to know the Bible and the words, but it's important for us to know how to apply them and to be careful with how we misapply Anyone who denies the Son doesn't have the Father either, but anyone who acknowledges the Son has the Father also. So you must remain faithful to what you have been taught from the beginning. If you do, you will remain in fellowship with the Son and with the Father, and in this fellowship we enjoy eternal life that he has promised us. I am writing these things to warn you about those who want to lead you astray. So so he says, if you're in Christ, not only do you know the truth, you know when someone is telling a lie especially when it comes to the teachings about who Christ is and what the gospel is. He says, but you as the believers, not only do you have the ability through the Spirit to know truth and to know how to live it out, you know when somebody's trying to tell you something that's not right. You know when someone is trying to lead you astray. And you can pinpoint that. And you can avoid that. But you've received the Spirit. He lives within you. So you don't need anyone to teach you what is true. He's not saying that we don't need teachers and we don't need preachers. He's saying that we don't need any other teachers that call themselves the final authority outside of Christ. Do you guys remember back in the 90s, there was a guy out in Waco, Texas? Do you remember the great, uh, the, the big statement that he made? This is what he said. He said, if the Bible is true, then I am Christ. It's interesting, isn't it? His name is David Koresh. His name was David Koresh. And he said, if the Bible is true, think about this. If the Bible is true, I'm Christ. Okay. Yeah. And the guy had followers. And he had people who not only lived with him, followed him, ascribed to his teachings, who died with him. And died for him. But I, he, he wasn't the Christ. Paul, Paul's not, uh, John's not saying, don't ascribe to teaching people that teach the Bible and teach truth because we need those. We need teachers, not just people that stand up here, not just people that stand in a Sunday school class or in some kind of venue like that and teach the Bible. We need people that'll do it one-on-one, people that'll share it with their neighbors, people that'll share it in their own home, people that'll teach it to their kids, people that will just teach the truth. We need all of that. So, so that's not what John is saying here. He's basically saying that you don't need anyone who claims that they are the final authority of truth. You don't need anybody and don't listen to anybody who claims to be Christ. And they're out there. Remember me and Bonnie visited California? We were visiting our friends in Moreno Valley. 
and we went to church at this church. They were, they were church plant too. And they'd been going like a little over a year. And, and they were meeting in a Seventh-day Adventist church in, in Marino Valley. And, and uh, when I was a kid and my dad started his first church and, and, uh, and when we started a church in Camden, in Lugoff, Camden, uh, we were in a Seventh-day Adventist church in Camden. Makes sense, right? People don't, you know, Seventh-day Adventists worship on Saturday. And so on Sunday, their buildings are wide open. I remember the second uh, plant that I was involved in with, with my family was, was in the northeast area of Columbia. And when, when they first started out, when I was in seminary, they were meeting in a Seventh-day Adventist church because, man, that works out good. You got a building there. You got a place to go and worship. And those that, that kind of inhabit that building do so in the Seventh-day Adventist approach on Saturday. And so you go in on Sunday and you have worship. It kind of works out. It happens. It's very prevalent around the country for church plants to meet in those locations. It's interesting. So my friend's church in California is meeting in this Seventh-day Adventist church, and, uh, and me and Bonnie, we went to church there. And, and I noticed my buddy, who's married to one of Bonnie's best friends from college, he kept, he's the youth pastor there, and he kept getting up and leaving the service. I'm like, what is this guy doing? Like, this is starting to, this is starting to be a little bit of a distraction. And he kept getting up and coming back, and he seemed to be more irritated every time he came back. I'm like, what is going on out in the lobby? That, that has this dude so messed up. And after church was over, we we're all standing around. We're, we're trying to figure out where we're going to go to lunch. And, and I, I pulled him aside. This is a guy I went to seminary with. And I said, Mike, I was like, uh, what were you doing during the service? Like, you just seemed irritated. You weren't able to sit and listen. You weren't able to sit and enjoy it. Whatever, you just seemed to keep it. He's like, well, there's this guy who comes here. And he takes all of our stuff off the tables while we're worshiping. And he puts out his literature. And, and his literature is, I mean, just crazy off the wall kind of stuff. But he said he's part of the Seventh-day Adventist church that meets here. And, and he believes that we are obviously wrong and, and that what we're teaching is false and, and all this kind of stuff. And he wants our people, apparently, and anyone who comes into this building on Sunday when we're worshiping here to know that so that they can pick up his literature and be changed. And I said, wow, that's amazing. He said, yeah, I have to go out there and check. And I try to tell him, hey, man, please leave and please take your stuff and take your, you know, take your uh, you know, tinfoil hat and all that kind of stuff and go, go somewhere else. And please leave us alone. And he said, you know, finally, a third time, we, you know, we kind of have to call the police and say, hey, man, you're, you're, you're being a nuisance and, and you're harassing us and, and all this kind of stuff. And he said, it just gets old. This guy comes all the time. We're trying to show him grace and please leave. And I said, wow, man, I'm sorry. You know, I was just trying to talk through it with him and, he said, yeah, it's okay. He said, um, he's from the same sect of Seventh-day Adventists that David Koresh came from. And he said, actually, this was David Koresh's church. He came here before he broke off and formed the Branch Davidian and made the statement, if the Bible's true, I'm Christ. Right? We're not... We're not talking about teaching the scriptures that are inspired by the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit guides us to teach and lead to all truth. We're talking about people who claim to be Christ and people who claim to speak for Christ and it is opposite of what Christ taught. This is what John's saying. You know, this happens in the world now, obviously. It not only happens in the world, but unfortunately, it happens in the church where there is teaching and there is misleading and there is false teaching that will not point people toward the person of Jesus and toward the gospel and toward the truth of his word, but 
away from it. So John is saying to them, just like he's saying to us, be careful, be vigilant, but here's what's great about it. You have the Holy Spirit, and not only will the Holy Spirit show you what truth is, it'll show you when someone is lying. You'll, you'll be able to recognize, sometimes it's easy like the guy out in the foyer during my friend's worship service. That's easy to spot, but sometimes it's more subtle, and it's tougher to spot. But because of the Spirit in your life, you'll be able to spot it and you'll know the difference. He said, so you don't need anyone else. You have the Spirit, you have Christ. There is no other Christ. For the Spirit teaches you everything you need to know and what he teaches is true, it is not a lie. So just as he has taught you, so because he has taught you and because you know and because he will lead you to truth, remain with him, stick with him, listen to him. Listen to my word. Follow my word. It doesn't need additions. It doesn't need subtractions. It doesn't need us to prop it up and be sincere about it so it'll be more true. It doesn't make it more true. It is on its own. Remember the bumper stickers that rotated in the 90s that said, that said uh, he, he, the Bible is true, I believe it, that settles it. No, the Bible is true and that settles it. Doesn't matter whether you believe it or not. And so God doesn't need our propping and our emotional support to prop up his truth in his word. It stands alone for all time, and it is what it is. And he says, you can stick with it. But if, and if you want to live for me and be in fellowship with me, remain in me. Let's, let's tackle this for a second. In verse 18, he says, you've heard that the Antichrist is coming, and you have heard that many such Antichrists have appeared. In the scriptures, when the Antichrist is used, John is the only author who uses that word. In the New Testament, when you see that word, it either means one of three things. It either means a spirit in the world that opposes or denies Christ. A spirit in the world that opposes or denies Christ. So this is actually uh, largely what John is addressing here. And Actually, in this context, it doesn't just, anti means against, right? Opposed to. So it is a, opposed to or against Christ. And this is a spirit that obviously we know lives in the world. In fact, that is the world's desire to uh, oppose Christ and to stand in opposition against him. Believe it or not, in this passage as well, that also means to replace Jesus so it just doesn't mean to oppose or stand in opposition against him, but is to try to find something to replace him with, a person, a place, or a thing. So when he says Antichrist, and you see that appear in the scriptures, you know that in, in, in some level it means a spirit in the world that opposes or denies Christ or tries to replace him in the world. It also alludes to false teachers that represent and express that spirit. So, so not only is it a spirit that lives in the world, there are people to, that express the spirit of denial and opposition to Christ and the desire to replace him. The Bible addresses that when it says antichrist and antichrists in the scripture. And then the third one is the most popular one. The person who will head up the final rebellion against Christ. And that's the one we lock on to. And that's the one that's so fun to try to guess who he is, right? I remember, again, growing up in church in the 80s. Did you guys remember this? Maybe, maybe you, if you didn't grow up in church and you got saved after it, you know, you're, you're lucky. 
Because in many ways, that was an interesting era because, because it was just fraught with these people who wanted to judge and, and, and predict the hour of when Jesus was coming back. And then a lot of them wanted to discuss and talk about it and argue over and get mad at each other over who the Antichrist was. You know, it was Jimmy Carter, it was Ronald Reagan, it was Michael Jackson. You know, he's just doing the, he's just sliding to, to the end of the destruction of the world. You know, you know, just the, the whole thing. He, he's it. He's the Antichrist. Madonna. Madonna's the Antichrist. No, not, not, not Michael Jackson. He got old and we got tired of listening to him. So it's Madonna now. Madonna's the Antichrist. You know, Pokemon's the Antichrist. Uh, you know, uh, pick your poison. I, I remember all the theories about Omar Gaddafi being the Antichrist. No, he's the Antichrist. Look at the people that are following him, blah, blah, blah. He's coming from this region of the world and this and that and this and that. No, the Pope's the Antichrist. No, it's true. The Pope, Pope John Paul, poor Pope John Paul. I don't know if there's ever been a Pope in history called the Antichrist more than him. Antichrist. It's him. It's him. It's her. It's him. It's him. It's him. It's her. It's her. It's her. It's unreal. I remember growing up in my dad's church, and I was not believing at that time. And every guest speaker, it seemed, in that, in that stream, they always wanted to come and make predictions about what's going on in the world and who the Antichrist was. And it was always something else. And I remember, like, I, I like the Jackson 5. I, you know, it's this. I'm sorry. It's Boy George. I remember Boy George was the Antichrist, dude. And he may have been. No, no, I'm kidding. I'm, I'm joking. I'm joking. No. Okay, so, so the designation was to try to find that one person. But really what we're saying and what we're trying to identify is the spirit in the world that opposes Christ and what Christ espouses and, and what opposes truth. And so what we do is we misrepresent and misappropriate terms and words that we don't know what we're saying. One of my favorite movies was, was The Princess Bride. And there's that little, little uh, you know, scene where he says, I, I do not think you, it means what you think it means. You keep saying this word. And I don't think you know what that means. And so, yes, is the Antichrist a real entity that will reveal itself in the world and will lead from the truth and teachings of Scripture, understanding it in the context of which it is taught? Will that happen to lead the final rebellion against Christ? Yes. Do we know who that is? No. Is it in our lifetime? I don't know. Do you know? No. Be careful with making the accusations and assumptions that a person, Donald Trump, Barack Obama, whoever, is the Antichrist. Because this is a specific person that is designated in the scriptures to lead the final rebellion against Jesus before the millennial reign of Christ. That is a big deal. So be careful saying this on Facebook because I don't know if we know what it means what we think it means. John also brings this other designation into play to say this is the spirit of Antichrist. Things that will oppose Christ, oppose the gospel, oppose the truth and teachings of Jesus that are not only opposed to them but desires to replace it and get rid of it. That is the spirit of Antichrist. It is alive in the world. Wouldn't you agree? 
Okay, what is also alive in the world are prophets and speakers and teachers who try to do the same. And that is the false teaching and the spirit of Antichrist in people to eradicate the belief in the one true God and his son Jesus. That's it. We live in the age of Antichrists. There is a lot of Antichrist. And what's interesting, it doesn't matter if he has a platform or you watched his videos on MTV when you were a kid. It doesn't matter if he has political power or whatever and all that. It could be your neighbor. The spirit of what is opposed to Christ and what seeks to deny and to eradicate and to replace Jesus. He says in here, the Son and the Father And then later on, he designates that the Spirit, the Trinity, leads us to truth. Truth, truth, truth. Anyone who denies Christ, anyone who espouses the spirit of opposition to Jesus is the spirit of anti-Christ, opposed to Christ. Fair? So let's, as believers, let's be informed as we speak in the world. Is the Antichrist real? Yes, it will be real. It will happen. It's going to happen. We see it not only in John's teachings here, in his designation here, and his separate designation in this particular passage. We see it in the teachings of Revelation. We see it, uh, Paul even references to it in his, one of his writings. He doesn't say the word though. But he says, this one will rise up. He will do this. There will be a designation of what he will accomplish. And then he will oppose Christ. That is true, but really what we're saying when we say this person's the Antichrist, instead of trying to figure out a puzzle that we're not meant to figure out, we need to understand that there is opposition to Christ in the world, and that is anti-Jesus. And that exists. And we need to be careful with who we listen to, and, and what we retweet, and what we post on Facebook, even within the Christian community, that could be teaching a false gospel that goes against the teachings of Christ. And so if I had any warning today, for me, for us, be careful to to really, because the Bible says, John says, the Spirit gives you the ability to not only know truth, but to know what is a lie. There's a difference. Do you know that? There's a difference in knowing what is true and knowing how to tell what a lie is. You know, we, we, we use this illustration way early on, and I think it bears to use it again, that, that people that know how to bank tellers, when they train people in the banking industry to know the difference between real money and counterfeit money, they don't give them the counterfeit so that they'll know the lie. They give them the real thing to inspect and study so that they'll know the lie when they see it. That's what the Spirit does for us. So we know the truth at such a level and at such a depth and it's to have such an understanding of the truth that not only can we recognize what the truth is and the Spirit leads us to that, but we know when we hear and see a lie because we're so fully understanding of the truth. And we know that when we see something that is opposed to that, we can spot it. This is the spirit of Antichrist. And he says, you can spot it, you'll know it because of the Spirit. In verse 20 he says, you know the truth. The Holy One has been given to you so you know the truth. In verse 21 he says, you know the difference between truth and a lie. I'll caution here as, Paul, as John cautions us. I think one of the things we struggle with 
in, in, our, in our society, in our culture, and even in the Christian community, is we think if someone says something with sincerity and passion, then it must be true. And that is not always the case. Sincerity is not the determining factor that makes something true. Let me say that again. Sincerity, being sincere about something, uh, just because I'm passionate and sincere about it, that is not the determining factor to make it true. I was thinking about this riding down the road the other day, uh, and Bonnie and I were trying to, it was actually, we were going to the graduation at CIU, and, and I forget sometimes when Bonnie's driving that she didn't grow up in Columbia, and she doesn't, the interchange systems and all this kind of stuff, she's not, still not familiar with. We kind of exist, like I'm sure all y'all do, in our little realm, you know. I kind of travel all over. Bonnie kind of has one little zone that she kind of, you know, does life and conquers. And she's not from here. And so as she drives, she has to be reminded where things are. And so we're, we're trying to go to CIU. And coming off of I-26, you go to Florence, right? You know, on I-20 and you go toward Florence. But there's also that I-20 lane to Augusta. And it's like the biggest traffic nightmare you've ever seen because people are merging and people are coming over and changing lanes and stopping and starting. And it's like, I'm going to die. And you're trying to make that one little quick decision. Is it Augusta? Is it Florence? Is it Augusta? Florence? I don't know. And I'm not paying attention because I think Bonnie knows where she's going, I assume. And I'm, she's driving and I'm riding. I'm, I'm eating and drinking coffee. And as we get into this lane, she goes, Jason, is it, is it Florence or Augusta? And, and I go, uh, turn. You know, it's like, merge. Now. You know, I'm like, it's Florence, it's Florence. So we made it, we're here. We made it to the graduation in one piece. Here's what's interesting about that. If I'm, if I'm sincere and passionate about I-20 to Augusta, getting me to Columbia International University, that's the way to go, Right? just sincere about it. No, but I'm sincere. I believe. I'm passionate. I'm telling you, Bonnie, take I-20 to Augusta. Next thing you know, we're down at the lake, you know, touring, touring Augusta National, going to see my uncle, you know, whatever. But I was sincere about it. Write it, but it's not the truth. It's not the way. The way to get you to, I, to, to CIU from my house is to take I-20 to Florence. It gets you right there. If you go I-20 to Augusta, you're going to be sincerely wrong. But you're going to be real passionate about it. I'm glad that the medical field doesn't operate this way. I'm glad you don't go in with a malady or, or a sickness or something and you go in and they, and, and they give you something that's totally wrong. In fact, not only will it help you heal and get better, it might make you worse. Right? I mean, right, Emily? What if you were just sincere about that, though? But the nurse was sincere. She seemed to care for me. She was passionate. In fact, she asked about my family as I died. <laughs> But, but she's just so passionate about it. Just revved up. But she's sincerely wrong. And sincere falsehood is no better than falsehood. It's still, at the end of the day, 
fault. Sincerity is not, I see this a lot, we see this now in the Christian community, teachings that seem sincere. Oh, they're just so passionate. Oh, you can tell that it comes from the heart. Well, there is just a lot of stuff that comes from the heart that is not guided by the Holy Spirit so that we know truth and can speak truth and so that we can teach truth so that people will know truth and people will be drawn to truth and they'll be able to see truth and discern a lie. Uh, even if it comes from the heart, it's still false if it's false. We, we need truth as the barometer for what is true. We need the Holy Spirit because John says what he tells you is true and not a lie. Ultimately, is what he's saying is what he tells you about God, what the word reveals about itself and about God and about Christ and about his spirit and about his gospel. The spirit, as it also says in 1 Corinthians 3, will lead you into truth about that. And so if you remain in fellowship with him, you pursue Christ and his Holy Spirit guides you, you will be sincerely true and passionately true, not sincere and passionate about something that is completely wrong. I would rather be, uh, I would rather seek truth. I would rather speak truth with God's help and it, and it be hurtful to me and, and, but helpful than to tell you a lie and you die. I think one of the greatest weights of doing this is making sure you stand up with the power of the Holy Spirit and lead wonderful people like you back to the truth of God's word with the Spirit. Because I cannot imagine the thought, and I'm sure God's grace has covered me in my life and ministry, my speaking ministry. I started when I was 21. And, w- and when, I, when I went at 21 years old, they handed me an itinerary and said, you're going to speak all these places. I went to Liberty University, I became a campus pastor, and they were like, hey, here's your schedule. I didn't know how to preach. I didn't know the Bible, hardly, other than my Awana memory verses. I had a degree from the University of South Carolina. I had studied pre-law and history, and, and I went to seminary to learn the scriptures. And then I went on staff, and they were like, hey, go out and speak. You know what one of my first dates was? I went to the Georgia Dome and spoke to about 3,000 students at a Barry St. Clair rally there on a side stage during the day. I don't know what I said. If I led them to, I have no idea. I just know I got up and I was doing the Elvis legs because I was so nervous. And, And I tried to share my testimony, how God saved me, and I tried to give the gospel. So, so who knows how God's grace has covered me and men sitting in this room and, and, and ladies who have taught the Bible and, and we, we, we haven't always stewarded that well. That's where the Spirit comes in. That's where God's grace comes in. It's, if it's not intentional, God can guide there. But one of the great weights of speaking the truth into people is, is making sure we don't lead you astray by giving you something false. Because I couldn't live with the understanding that I told you a lie and was sincere about it, and it ruins you. And it ruins your life and your family and your future. And it was something I told you. I would rather not do this. I'd rather sit where you are and somebody else who 
does steward the word and to do it with the leading of the Holy Spirit and to lead you to truth that will help and not harm and will be best for you and me, do it. That's the determining factor, the Holy Spirit. He says he doesn't lie to you. The Spirit of God not only gives us, the, the Christian, the power to know the truth, but also the ability to know how it is different from everything else. So we not only know what, true, what is true, we can, with the Holy Spirit's help, discern what is false. I, I beg you and of myself, let's ask the Holy Spirit to help lead us into truth when we're hearing things in, in our lives, in the culture, on social media, before we share it, before we espouse it, before we tell it to someone else. And oftentimes, some of the most slippery things can come from within the Christian community. And John says, but the good news is the Spirit can help you know. But you've received the Holy Spirit. He lives within you. For the Spirit teaches you everything you need to know. And what's great about that is, is that, does that mean that the Spirit teaches you everything on how to do your job well? Essentially, yes, that he can obviously make you a better worker by instilling values that Christ desires for us to espouse. Those baseline things that God desires for our lives helps us work better, treat our neighbors better, treat our coworkers better, live for Jesus and glorify God in those environments, yes. But that's not what he's talking about here. He's saying everything you need to know about the truth. Everything you need to know about Christ. So think about that. That is a holistic statement about spiritual truth. That the Holy Spirit of God teaches you and me everything we need to know. So the believer, although this is a journey and although we're all learning and growing, and we never will until, and we will never stop until we see Christ. But the confident hope in this is that the Holy Spirit will teach us and show us everything we need to know in regards to following Jesus and serving God. And not only will he teach us that and show us that in every avenue and area of our life, the Bible says that if we remain in fellowship with him, the Spirit will help us do that as well. Isn't that cool? So not only will he help us know truth, but he'll help us stay connected to the source of truth really confident, real encouraging word. Mom, I want to say this to you. The best thing you can do for your children, whether they're grown or they're really young or you just had another one or one or is your first one or whatever it may be, the best thing that you can do for your kids is to love and follow Jesus. It's the best thing you can do for them. It, 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 will, it will not only change the circumstances and, and affect them positively for the glory of Christ in that moment, but will for all time. You can't make decisions for your kids. You can't save them. You didn't die on the cross. I get that. But you can constantly, honestly, passionately point them toward the truth. And that'll be the best thing 
for their little lives. And you know what? The Bible says it'll teach you everything it needs to know, you need to know. The Holy Spirit will inform you, will help you, will guide you, will give you discernment and wisdom in how to handle these issues that come up, how to deal with it when you don't think you can, how to have energy when you run out of it, how to have the wisdom to deal with something that's complex, how to know what is complicated, how to discipline, how to guide, how to show, how to share, how to love. That's you, Mom. The Holy Spirit can give you that. And like we told the dads last Father's Day, you don't have to be a hero. You just have to be faithful. God's not looking for heroes. He's looking for faithful men and women. And so what's great is the Holy Spirit can make you faithful. Faithful to the truth that you can then pass on to the next generation and then see that seed in their lives and however God wants to use it. Happy Mother's Day to you. Walk out of here today. Go to lunch if you're a mom. Enjoy the time with your family and your friends and let them just, just let them celebrate you. But go to bed tonight with the peace and the comfort and the understanding that the Holy Spirit of God, if you know Jesus, lives in you and, and will give you everything you need to know to follow him and to give it to your children and to be that for your husband. If you're in here and you're not a mom, and your mom knows Jesus, have a great day of recalling what she instilled in you. Some of you I, I see sitting out here, you, you don't, may not have children, but I know some of you, and I know what you've said and told me about your mother. So praise God for your mother that they were faithful and not heroes. I'm thankful for my mom, who's sitting here today, that she, did, she didn't try to be a hero. She just tried to be faithful.